Welcome back to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations in a Christ-like manner. I'm Mason Simmons. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm glad you joined us. All right. So the past two episodes we've been talking about uh, pain, suffering, stuff that is hard to comprehend uh, when you approach it from a human standpoint. We've been kind of went in Scripture in our first episode. Well, we went in Scripture on both episodes. But we stayed focused on two specific stories in our first episode. We talked about the flood and we talked about the plagues. Uh, second episode, we, we dove into Scripture in a different way and just tackled several different concepts, kind of uh, rapid-fire fashion. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to the kind of structure that we followed in our first episode and focus on two main stories, one less so than the other, though. Uh, I just want to open up with, with Job. I think that Job is a very uh, poignant, poignant? Sure. <laughs> um, topic when it comes to pain and suffering because when you think of Job I mean what do you think of pain and suffering I mean there's a guy that endured it and he's got this Christ-like quality of like it really just seemed like the guy didn't deserve it like he was taking suffering for for no apparent reason other than Satan decided to to say to God oh well I bet that this guy will buckle under pressure and then God get get ready for this phrase because this is some intense stuff God believed in Job <laughs> and said, no, he's not going to give in. You you do what you want. Just God don't. called him a perfect man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's a high honor right there. So Job, he's, I feel like that book is misunderstood by myself uh, personally. I mean, there for a long time, Job was a very weird book to me. Like when mm-hmm. I read it, I just, I didn't really know how to take it. It just seemed like a lot of unfair punishment being doled out because at face value, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. A, a blameless man who is taking on way more punishment than anyone before him or after him is ever going to take. So uh, I say all this to address the question that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Isn't God going to protect me in my suffering? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is yes, but not in the way that you think. Mm -hmm. See, we talked about God in our last episode as... uh, He's, he's one that we can go to for comfort in times of trial. When we're suffering, we can, we can pray, we can meditate, we can read his scriptures and, and look back on people such as Job that endured hardships and figure out what, what can I get out of that. And I don't mean what I can get out of that like in a selfish way, but like how, mm-hmm. how can I spiritually grow? How can I give God the glory in understanding why I'm enduring this hardship? So, what, oh, no, Tanner, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I think Justin Brierley, he's a, another podcaster that has a unbelievable and uh, ask anti write anything. He's a, a, a very smart man, very smart guy. <laughs> uh, but he's also, uh, Justin Brierley is a guy that works for Premier Christian Radio in U- the UK. But his, he says that he was asked, So, what is your, what do you think the answer for the problem of pain is? And he says, well, God's job is not to wrap us up in wool from every issue that we face. His job is to bring us to the knowledge of himself. And I think that the knowledge of himself is peace, comfort, and mercy. And I think that's one thing that when, when we, re- we look at Scripture and we look at uh, the story of Job and Lazarus and Psalm 23, that he's not there to remove us from it, but yet to be there with us. Yeah. Uh, and getting back on Job, I'm not going to stay on this for too long. Uh, we're going to spend the bulk of this episode uh, talking about a different story in the Bible. But I think that Job is a relevant thing to bring up just because of how unfair the whole situation seems. But throughout all the suffering that, that Job goes through, and I'm not going to read through the, the whole book because, well, for one, that would take forever. Uh, I'm just going to take one piece out of this. In Job chapter 14, verses 
1 through just 1 and 2 says man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble he cometh forth like a flower and is cut down he fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not and that's king james version that's what we're going to be going out to today but that's more or less just an acknowledgement that like we're not promised tomorrow like mm-hmm. life isn't long like what we have is a blessing and we should enjoy it uh, when you look at job's suffering um, because for those that aren't familiar, Job is literally just a borderline perfect dude. Like God calls him perfect, more or less. Like, is there is there a more blameless man than than Job? And Satan just decides to to waltz up and go, Hey, uh, what if I did some stuff? What what if I made his life uh, a living hell? I mean, that that's what he did. He he made it suffering. He he inflicted so much suffering, and God gave him permission. Imagine being such a great follower of God that God believes in you. That's insane. That's intense. That's beautiful. And Job goes through all this suffering, and it's so easy to look at it as, oh, God is allowing these bad things to happen. And at face value, yeah, he does allow it to happen. He's literally allowing Satan to to these terrible things, Job. But even as God is allowing these hardships to come across Job's life, he repeatedly tells Satan, he's like, "You you can't take his life. You can't take his life. Like, this man has been granted invincibility by God himself. If that's not a blessing, I don't know what is. And then when all is said and done, God blesses him tenfold, like gives him so much more than he had to begin with. And yeah, it's easy to look at the loss that he endured and go like, well, but that already happened. But keep in mind, now Job has that to fall back on in the future. If any hardship comes his way, dude, he's going to laugh it off. Like, if you think you know hardship, you merely adopted the darkness. I was born it. No. <laughs> all right, Bane. Yeah, but he... I mean, he he saw it all right there. If that's not a cross-like figure, I don't know what it is. Like Job, he got through it. So if you, when you look at all this global suffering, you can you can look at Job for hope, because yeah, he endured a lot of suffering. A lot a lot of people died. His property died. Uh, he had houses torn apart. But at the end end of the day, like what does he get? He gets a book devoted to him that we can look back on to to see like how you can suffer well, how you can suffer well, because that's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. Uh, especially non-believers, because I mean, for one, a non-believer is never going to wrap their head around Job, ever. They're they're going to read Job and be like, "Oh, so you worship a God that that lets bad things happen to you?" Well, isn't that a blessing in itself? We've already touched on that. How that free will, how that choice. We talked about the plagues, uh, and how the choice uh, that people are given through all these suffering, like that, gives God the glory. Job gave God glory by suffering, and if you can find beauty in that, then I mean, you you can suffer well. So that. That's uh, just kind of an intro there, uh, talking about Job. We're going to be getting into a different story next. But I just, personally, Job is a book that I simultaneously struggle and find peace in all the time. Like, it's just such a powerful book. I highly uh, recommend anyone listening to this just dive in headfirst on that, especially given the times. I think another thing that about Job that's encouraging is that even it seemed like one after another, you know, his his. He lost his property, his camels and his oxen all perish, his houses are gone, his uh, servants are dead, his, his children. children are dead, all these, and, and it's like one after another, and it seems like it escalates, gets worse and worse, and it seems like bam, 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 one after another. And a lot of times that we can relate to that because it seems like nothing goes right in our life a lot of times, and it seems like we just, it, everything's pounding upon us. And it's in the word, if you look at the, the Hebrew uh, word for the Satan, is the accuser. And when God says, have you considered my faithful servant Job? A lot of times Satan, he comes to us, even though we're faithful and we are serving God the way that we should. He wants to accuse us 
before God and saying that he's worthless, that he will curse you. He will curse you before he dies. And we just remember that even when Job lost all this, he still was faithful to God. And he still had these questions. It's like, why is this happening to me? I was righteous. I, I did all these things, but he never cursed God. And it was... He and if you go back and you remember, nobody was with him. Nobody was for him. Later on in the book, as you dive into Job, you'll see he has some friends come along, but they really don't act like much friends because what they try to do is, you know, they try to depict what did you do wrong? You did this wrong, or you didn't do this right, and all these other things. And then eventually, Job's own wife will just, says, "Just go ahead and curse God and die." You know, in this suffering, just curse God and die. And what does Job do? I mean, he stays faithful. And I, you know, it just kind of hit me a few minutes ago when you were, you know, explaining this. Um, in the New Testament, we see how Jesus says, you know, my grace is sufficient. The only person Job had on his side was God because he knew he was going to stand faithful to him. And, I mean, if that doesn't prove that, you know, if God God's enough and, you know, because literally no, nobody was with Job. All of his stuff, his children were dead. All of his livestock and servants were gone. And the only people who were supposed to be his friends and his wife, the closest people that were supposed to be there for him, no matter what, were even against him. Yeah. And, of course, I'm fully aware it's going to be, I mean, it's absolutely going to be impossible to, like, uh, condense Job into a roughly 30, 40-minute mm-hmm. podcast episode. So I know we're not doing it justice. We'll probably just have to do a full series on Job in the future, I mean, on several books. Because um, if you want to talk about loss, if you want to talk about suffering, Job's your boy. Like, he's he that's where it's at but um, again we're not going to do it justice just talking about it in a, in a condensed form right now so there, there's your Old Testament taste uh, Tanner said we're going to be going on over the old and the new in this episode so that, that, that was the Old Testament uh, Tanner why don't you take us on in the New Testament we'll see where that gets us so we wanted to dive real uh, deep into uh, one of the biggest painful uh, experiences of Christ not including the uh, crucifixion and one of the shortest verses and all of scripture which would be jesus web so i mean we'll in john chapter 11 we'll be talking a little bit about lazarus and that question that you brought up earlier you know is god going to protect me is god going to be with me in, during my suffering so in john chapter 11 we'll be uh, starting in verse one so now a certain man was sick named lazarus of bethany the town of mary and her sister martha It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So already we know if we if we went back and looked that there was this 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 group of people in Bethany that Jesus accompanied quite frequently, that he was good friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And here it states back that John wants to relate back to the reader, saying that these are people that worshiped Christ and believed that Jesus was the Son of God and believed that he was the the master, the teacher. And so we see a connection between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and Jesus, that there is a friendship there, there is a relationship there that goes beyond acquaintance. So here we establish a relationship between Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. And I think one thing that you can get from that relationship being established, uh, and I'm sure we'll be hitting on this topic a lot going through uh, these verses, Lazarus being a good friend of Jesus doesn't protect him from getting sick. Mm-hmm. Like having, having faith isn't going to make you immune to, to hardships, and Lazarus is an excellent example of that. Yeah, it says that uh, now a certain man was sick. Lazarus. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, it shows that because he's a friend of Jesus, he's not going to be free of 
all harmful sicknesses. Yeah, and I mean, at risk for spoilers here, uh, in case you haven't read the story of Lazarus, but I mean, even being on good enough terms to to be resurrected by Jesus won't save you from dying in the first place. Like, Jesus made a good example out of Lazarus in a way that his own friends couldn't comprehend, Mm -hmm. but we'll get into that when we get to it. Uh, To continue our reading, uh, verses 3 through 5 reads, Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, Just some thoughts that I want to bring on those is uh, verse 4 is the meat of that, if you ask me. Uh, when, When, I mean, Jesus himself, he confirms that this sickness... This isn't Lazarus dying because it was it was his time to die. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, Jesus is coming out with the spoilers again pretty quick. He's like, nah, this ain't permanent. Don't y'all worry. Lazarus is gonna come back before this day is over. But he's saying the point of this, God deserves some glory, and Lazarus is getting the privilege to be the vehicle through which he receives glory. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of faith is gonna be required in a lot of different people's hands, but Lazarus, he's doing his part by suffering, by being dead. Like that, that's, again, this is something that the non-believer can't appreciate. And like, I feel so sorry for people that can't find comfort in these verses that someone who died didn't die because it's their time, but died because that, that that's the way God's going to get some glory today. Like what an amazing feat. So that, I mean, just that little passage, I mean, that might be my favorite uh, little grouping of verses throughout this in, entire passage here, because I mean, goodness, this is what 44 verses were only, five deep and just that fourth verse just has so much power behind mm-hmm. it to me well it reveals his purpose and reasoning uh why he waited uh, and why he decided to uh, sit back for a couple of days and allow this to happen and it, it states that uh he's not even dead yet he's just sick and you know mary and martha sent a message to him it's like you know our brother's sick your friend he's dying and jesus knows what's to come and he knows what he's about to do and you know, even for the unbeliever, I think this is a way that us uh, as Christians can be a light to those of the unbelievers saying, you know, that the pain that is going on, that there is a hope of a restoration, as he says here, is that the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so the death of Christ wasn't for the death itself, but to be glorifying God through his resurrection. Yeah, thank you definitely for bringing up the fact that Lazarus hasn't died yet. I'm already getting ahead of myself in my brain. Like when I read that, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's some deep stuff. Which I mean, it's still it's still pertinent. Like that that's still relevant to the situation at hand because I mean, obviously Jesus has that knowledge that he's going to sit back. Lazarus is going to die. I'm throwing up some air quotes. Uh, but even though it's not like that hasn't happened yet, Obviously, Jesus knows what he's talking about, so that you can still find that hope in there. But yeah, good, good catch, Tanner. I already kind of got ahead of myself, but still, I do love that verse and just the message that it has uh, regarding the rest of the passage. Mm-hmm. So, Mason, if you want to read the next little grouping, grouping is uh, verses six through fifteen. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then, after that, saith he to his disciples, "Let us go into Judea again." His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late saw to stone thee, and goest thou thither and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in this day he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. 
but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, and then thought that he had spoken of taking up rest and sleep. This is where I'm getting tongue-tied now. Then saith Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am gladly I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go into him. One thing that I like about that, um, I think that God's got a pretty great sense of humor. I mean, the fact that humans have a sense of humor is proof that God has a sense of humor. I mean, we be made in his image. So whenever a uh, sassy Jesus comes out, I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, and sassy Jesus, I like to, to throw that phrase out. Basically, whenever he, when he, when he gets sarcastic, when he says something that, uh, oh goodness, I can't believe I'm about to make this reference. But it's like when you watch the show The Office and an inside joke or just a joke in general is made and someone looks at the camera and they have that face like, can you believe this? And like that, that's a point of humor within the show. That's one of the legitimate uh, functions of the camera and people looking at it in that. And times like this, I think Jesus is looking at that camera, you know, it's like, you seeing this? Because it says in, oh goodness, which verse is it? Uh, when he's talking about, uh, in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And then it acknowledges in the scripture, uh, in verse 13, it says, Basically, that Jesus was speaking of his death. Like, Jesus knows good and well, like, what's going on here. But the disciples just weren't really picking up what he was putting down. Like, they, they didn't catch the subtleties of what Jesus was saying. So then, sassy Jesus comes out and says, all right, y'all didn't get it. Je he's dead. Lazarus is dead. Like, I got to spell it out for you. Like, he looks at the camera like, can you believe these disciples? They've been following me for X amount of years, and they still don't have this down. So... We, we get we get a little bit of sarcasm from Jesus, but then um, getting serious again because I mean that's just kind of my thing. In verse fifteen, he says, "I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go into him." Like him again, confirming something cool is about to happen, guys. Y'all ain't ready for this. So that that's what I get personally out of that uh, passage there. I like the kind of sarcasm, the sense of humor that you get from Jesus, but you still get that acknowledgement of something cool is about to happen, something unique, something that goodness isn't going to happen again until it's me being risen from the dead me speaking as jesus obviously matthew thompson did not die and rise again i mean here it's very obviously stated that he was using sleeping as dead without just saying he's dead oh. people would take sleeping too too literal i have way too many people like that would say oh like no like you're just asleep until you know he rises until he rises you again when he comes back like you don't actually go to heaven like you're just in that sleep and i'm thinking I've never heard of that. I, I, I get taking everything literal, but, I mean, you're taking, like, I mean, there's other terms for sleep, as we're well aware. It's the same thing here. Rest in peace. We resting, but you ain't dead. No, like sleep. <laughs> no. I was just going to see what y'all thought about that. All right, where are we at? 17 through 27, whoever's reading that. I mean, oh we my goodness, that just made that verse so much stronger. 1135, verse 35. You ought to know verse 35. Jesus wept. Yeah. Not, um, only is he, not only does that show he's all man, showing emotions and, you know, weeping over a loved one. Shut up. Don't say it until we get to it. He already. I want it fresh out of your mouth, son. I want it fresh. Well, then let's get to it because <laughs> otherwise it's going to be gone. All right. <laughs> yeah. So starting in verse 17, it says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave, four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, was near Jerusalem, about 15 uh, furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them 
concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall not die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So I think faith. There's some faith. That's good. Sorry. That was You're going to take your I lap? Chills. I got chills there. You're going to take your lap? Is that the pepper speaking? Oh, it, I didn't have pepper. That was the pepper. That was the spice. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't mean to cut you off. That was just, No, you're fine. I got you're chills. Fine. Legit. That's good. So Martha, she responds in a way that I believe that most of us uh, during a pain of suffering and, and say if someone dies or, or pain and, and, and turmoil hits us is that we ask the question is, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst? If you were here, this would not have happened. But the thing is, though, that she goes and remembers and has faith in the Son of God. Is like, if you would have been been here, he would not have died. But then she goes forward and says that, but I know that whatever you ask of the Father, whatever you ask God, it will be done. So she still had faith that Jesus was who he says he was, even if something bad happened in her life. Even if her brother has passed away and, and died, she recognized and had faith and because of that faith, what does Christ give her? Hope. Hope saying that, hey, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and says, thy brother shall rise again. And so because of this, even though there will be pain and suffering in our life, if we have faith and hope in Christ, he will give us reassurance. It's like that there is restoration. There is hope. There will be a renewing of what was dead. And so I think that's a great comfort in that story with Martha. It's just... It's so lovely just hearing such uncompromised faith. Like, it's... Someone finally gets it right for once. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny, too, because Martha, earlier, when Jesus was teaching in their house, Mary was the one that was, you know, that anointed Jesus' feet, and Martha was over here worrying about the works and wasn't worrying about, you know, who, who Jesus was, but more about serving him instead of actually learning from him. And so now it looks like she's actually learned something about Christ. Oh, yeah. She's taken his advice and is like, okay, so he is the resurrection. He is the one who he says he is. It's like I said, it's just so refreshing to hear someone get it right. I mean, obviously, like, Martha was a, a sinful being. Like, she's not perfect. Like, not not implying that uh, one bit here, but how many times is it throughout Scripture that you'll get, whether it be in the Old Testament, it's one of the um, attempts at a second Adam, like uh, like Moses, Noah, that we talked about in the first episode of this, um, and especially with Jesus' disciples. How many times, you lose count, where a disciple or a trusted individual of Jesus basically goes, uh, and I mean, this is paraphrasing viciously, I know, like, Jesus I love you and I believe in you, but there's always a but. There's always a screw-up. There's always just falling short. Like Peter, yeah, he walked on water for a little while, and then he looked at the waves and got scared. And, oh, you have little faith. Like, well, why did you doubt that Jesus said? Like, 
I mean, not to rag on Peter too much, but he's kind of the easy one to hit here. Uh, would Jesus say, you're going to deny me three times? Oh, I'll, I'll never deny you, Lord. Which, for one, why on earth are you saying that Jesus is wrong? Like, that in itself is a lack of faith. And then you go even further by, well, having the lack of faith and denying him three times. Like, so many times you get people that almost do the job but fall just short. And Martha, finally, even though she had to learn from, from some mistakes, as we established, she got it right. She recognized Jesus' authority as God in the flesh. Beautiful stuff. That, it's, it's chill bump worthy. I mean, but, that's what I've been getting. <laughs> and then you get the, the fact that even if those people do have little faith, which I'm a man of little faith as well. I, I lose faith. All, I mean, I think every, every one of us lose faith at times. God still works with those people that doubt and still lose faith. I think Mark, he preached a good message. You know, it's like even doubting Thomas that doubted Jesus right in front of him until he touched him. That faith was renewed, and then what did he say? He didn't question, oh, Lord, oh, my God, is that you? He acknowledged, oh, Lord, my God. And so in, in this here, uh, Martha's doing the same thing. He's, she's acknowledging him, and he works with those that acknowledge and even those that still have a weak faith, and he's still wanting to work within them. All right, so moving on to the next passage, we got verses 28 through 35, which reads, And when she had so said... She went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth, calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, two words that pack a wallop. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, Mason, I believe you have got some some thoughts on that verse in particular, so let her loose. The short fun fact that most people know, they know this is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. And personally to me, it's one of my favorites. Not only can I quote it without problem, but <laughs> those two words together have so much meaning jesus wept okay wept cried bitterly i think is like a good webster dictionary for it jesus god himself in man form this proves that not only did he have the emotions we have he cried over his friend's death lazarus lazarus was one of his best friends but if you'll go back to the part of the scripture i read at the beginning of the chapter Jesus already knew he was dead. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus knew what happened to Lazarus because he done told the disciples what he was going to do. He purposely waited, you know, so that when he showed up, Lazarus was dead. But he still grieved him. Why? I mean, like I said, I think that just shows the emotion that Jesus... He mourns the people that he lost, too. I mean, yeah, he knew he was going to raise him back up, you know, probably here in just a few minutes or in an hour or two or, you know, whatever it was. You know, Jesus, he knew, he knew what it was like to lose someone he loved dearly because Lazarus was dead. 
And I mean, if that doesn't show, you know, that Jesus has experienced the same troubles and pains that we do when we lose loved ones, you know, family members or best friends or anything like that. I mean, he's been there. Mm-hmm. That makes me think, and this may or may not actually be relevant, but it, it brings to mind like the way that we treat funerals. Uh, obviously, given the circumstances right now, it's a little different, but uh, growing up, like my, I mean, my mom being a, a preacher's daughter, I was exposed to a lot of funerals growing up and a lot of weddings. And one thing that you notice when you go to a lot of funerals is like the showing where, where people like walk, you got the, the casket open or whatever. Usually the, the atmosphere is pretty relaxed. You got a lot of people cutting up. There's a video playing in the background. There's some chill music. You can usually uh, give give a hug to those affected directly by the death. And yeah, I mean, obviously there, there might be some... Um, some redness around the eyes you can tell it's been a a rough time for them but overall like there's laughter there's joy uh and there's just man what what a good person that 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 person that that, that's now passed uh was like they they lived a good life let's celebrate it they were awesome oh this is my favorite memory of them it's a joyous occasion borderline it's a celebration of life not Mm -hmm. a mourning of the death but then the actual funeral that's where the waterworks start. That's where it gets real. That's where you realize this person's about to go into the ground, and I'm the only time I'm going to see them is in pictures. And then when when I die, Lord willing, like I, that kind of brings to mind that uh, mentality to me that that Jesus knew good and well that Lazarus was going to die, but he was just like, hey, he's God's going to get some glory from this. But then when it gets real, that emotion hits because I mean Jesus has that emotional response. Mm-hmm. It's, it's built into us. We can relate to that. Absolutely. So that, that's that's what it brings to mind to me. And I think it's also interesting to interject here is that what's I know those funerals what you're talking about, and I mean you went to the same funerals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but most of those people that have died at those funerals that are happy go lucky are believers. Mm. Oh yeah. Because why? They understand that hope of resurrection that Jesus was talking about, that he sleepeth. He says, but I have a work to do that the Father will be glorified. You know, and I've been to a couple of funerals where I knew that, you know, this this person, individual, did not live a, a Christian lifestyle. I know them not to be a Christian. And the family is not a Christian, and it is a different setting in, in itself. And so you can see that those that have faith and have hope, like Martha here and Mary as well, they have a sense of rejoicing because they know that there is a resurrection waiting for them, a glorified God to be made due to the resurrection. And uh, I've got it in the notes, and, 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 and uh, Gandalf says it perfectly in Lord of the Rings. It says, uh, a wizard is never late. He, rev- uh, he, he arrives precisely on when he means to. And so that's exactly Jesus. He, Jesus, he waited for Lazarus to die to show the glory of the Father. I'm glad you brought that up. I guess ignorance is kind of bliss. I've, I don't think I've ever been to a funeral that wasn't like, within a group of believers. Like I, mm-hmm. I never even really put too much thought towards like a funeral of someone who definitely didn't believe. That would, oh, that'd be depressing. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that's like it's, it's very hard to think about because, where is that soul eternally? Yeah. And us as Christians, it's hard, and like especially those like. Especially those that you've ministered to, you've talked to about Christ, you've witnessed to them about, and it is, and you know that they've rejected time and time again. And when they die, it's just like, I hope they made a final decision. I, I never witnessed it, and that is one of the hardest funerals you can ever go to, because it's like he doesn't have hope in resurrection. 
He doesn't have hope of eternal life. And that's a sad place to be, but yet that's what I think during a time of pain and, and tribulation as believers that we have this hope in Jesus as Mary Martha and the centurion uh, did. So I think that's a, that's a powerful thing, a hope restored, a, su- a surprising hope that we have as believers for sure. Verses 36 and 37, Mason, if you want to take that. 36 says, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused even this man should not have died? So in these group of verses, you have a contrast between two type of people within the crowd. I think it's good to look at the crowd of the people that have witnessed this uh, tragic event. You have some Jews that wept with Mary and Martha and were understanding and comforted Mary and Martha because of their brother's sickness and their death. But there's a other group of people that were there at the funeral that basically said, well, this man, Jesus, he healed the lame and he healed the blind and he done all these miracle things. Could he not kept death from Lazarus? Could he not heal his sickness and keep him from dying? And so I think that's interesting because even today you have people uh, that question Christians like, where's your God now? You know, in the midst of this sickness, they they point at Christians and believers and said, so where's your God in the midst of the trouble? Where is he? I bet you he does, he's not existent. He did all these things in the past for you and all these things that you claim he does, but where is he? Yeah, a lot of people will bring up, especially, you know, the sick, you know, how people will come in and pray with those in ICU or those who might be, you know, in the last stages of life that they've been battling for our sickness for years. Um, and then, you know, that individual might die and they'll say, well, why did you take him? You know, because we'll, we'll share all the great stories, you know, how somebody might have been healed from cancer or healed from any other terrible disease or sickness and they get to live, but they'll be tore up about the fact that their loved one died. And they'll say, you know, why, where was your God here? You know, why didn't he save this person? Why didn't he heal this person? And it's the same thing. You know, Jesus healed the blind in, in previous occasions. He, you know, has touched all these other people. Why didn't he save his best friend, Lazarus? Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, like he stated, Jesus stated earlier before, it's for him and his father to show their authority and their power and to get him glory. And that goes back to the previous podcast we talked about, you know, even if it is a hard thing to swallow, a hard pill to swallow, a hard drink to swallow, and Jesus had to die, he wanted God's will to be done. It was God's will at this moment in time for Lazarus to rise from the dead, for God to be glorified and to show that there is a resurrection to the people, to his disciples, to show them something is a, a lesson. And so the time now if he heals grandma from cancer in the ICU, God be the glory. If she dies in the cancer in the ICU, let God still get the glory. And so he he doesn't have to heal the sickness to get the glory. We just have to give him glory no matter what. So I'll continue reading uh, uh, the story starting in verse 38. Uh, so in verse 38, it says that Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. So he's still weeping. He is still in turmoil uh, in the death of his friend. Uh, It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Jesus said, Take ye the stone away. 
Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, which is funny because she didn't get it either when she was talking when Jesus was talking about the resurrection. Martha, the one that still had faith, that still has faith, she says, By the time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, so he's going to another reminder, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where they de- the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by I, stand by me and it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when they thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin or a grave cloth. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Well, let's start back at the beginning, with, well, near the beginning, with that question. You know, I like how you brought it up. You know, Martha, the one who believed God, you know, and I like the question that he says because I think it brings up exactly what he told or mm-hmm. what she told him. Um, you know, how she said, I know that, you know, whatever you ask of God, he'll give it. Well, uh, right here, he asked, uh, saith I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God. You know that God will do, because, I mean, he is the form of God do you know what is asked i think it just she she doesn't disbelieve but she's confused she's in doubt and i know we brought it up before a lot of people will be in doubt but i mean they've also never seen somebody raised from the dead either so well they've heard stories like uh uh, elisha like uh, i know they stumbled upon his grave and elisha came back to life and there's different stories i I think they've heard uh time time frame uh the centurion where was the centurion compared to this i'm not sure but yet there's there's stories of people in the old testament raising from the dead but the thing is though they stayed dead and i think what compares the difference between because she knew of a, of a resurrection of uh at, and she says at the last days at the last time you know when the world will be redeemed will all be resurrected those that believe so she believed and that's that's jewish law that the that they believed in a resurrection but they didn't understand and didn't see what Jesus was talking about, that he is the final resurrection that he will raise from the dead and that he, it will be an example of that resurrection, that final resurrection. So I think that she didn't get that, but she understood the end resurrection. I wouldn't even call it doubt necessarily. Uh, see, I, I have a trouble saying that, but that's the only way I know how to describe it. Because when I read what she said like that, doesn't scream doubt to me. That just no. screams ignorance. Which I think it's yeah. I think ignorance is a good she word. Just doesn't know. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like she's she's never seen somebody raised alive. So when she, Jesus is going up there to tell him to move the stone away, you know she's confused. Like what yeah. are you going to do? Well, like what she I said. Like it's pointless. Well, she's thinking of the like I said earlier. She's thinking of the final resurrection yeah. instead of this present resurrection. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That and she's not. Well, even we're saying the same thing. I just, well, I'm, I mean, I'm clear. I'm. Yeah. I'm not arguing. Like she's not even necessarily <laughs> discouraging Jesus from what he's going to do. She's just like stating the fact, like, hey, he probably stinks now. Like, might want to get a N95 mask on. <laughs> but then it could be kind of like how Peter. I wonder if it was kind of like Peter, where like Jesus said, "I'm going to give you the king, keys of the kingdom," and he says, "But for this to happen, I have to die." Then Peter was just like, "No, you don't have to die." Then Pete, Jesus was like, "Get behind me, Satan." So maybe it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, there's several ways to take. I mean, just the way that she worded that, I, 
I think you can make the argument in both directions. I wouldn't necessarily call you wrong for disagreeing with me. Because <laughs> obviously he said it to where John and the disciples could hear it because it wouldn't have been recorded. Record, record the prayer. So, I mean, obviously he, he made it to where this is a teaching moment that it's to the Father and because of the Father and because of me. that I just like how they start that off, though. Yeah. So verse 41, thank you, Mason, says, Then they took away the stone from the place uh, where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, and that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Like him just acknowledging, hey, God, I know you hear me, but since these people are around, I kind of have to make a point right now because they're still confused as to what's going on, even mm-hmm. though I've pretty much spelled it out but you know how it is god you know you know how it always is like he, he, he's it's almost like throwing some shade at everybody while also bringing glory to god because i mean that's what jesus does sassy jesus so there's my take and i think that he's in a physical sense that he's doing here with lazarus i think that he's she's showing himself again at the cross saying that i have the power to resurrect life from death and it says that he was bound foot, mouth, and hands. And this is what sin does to us. It bounds us hand, foot, and mouth. And so what did Jesus say? That he raised him from the dead because he loved him and to show his power. And that's what Christ does. He says once we believe in him and we believe in that and we have that faith, that there is that resurrection, that spiritual and physical resurrection uh, that he shall give us. So I think that Jesus here, he's giving a foreshadowing of, of the cross, basically saying, I have control of death, hell, and the grave. He's basically spitting upon the devil and the power that he has and saying, this is what I'm about to do here in a f- couple days or weeks. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 54, uh, uh, Paul, he says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, so he's talking about the the corruptible flesh putting on the incorruption of salvation and this mortal body shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory what victory victory of death on the cross o death verse 55 o death where is thy sting o grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's a wonderful thing that Paul is saying. He's he's basically, he's I'm sure he's looking back at the, I'm sure he's listening to some of the stories that the disciples were talking about of Lazarus and stuff like that. And he's thinking, see, he's showing, he's showing uh, the disciples and he's showing the, those that saw him and do all these works that he, he is the only one that has victory over the grave. And because of the cross, that death is now defeated. And because of this, we have no fear in death. We have no fear in pain. We have no fear in suffering, even though it is, it is, is reasonable to cry. It is reasonable to have, have this, you know, questions about it. But we don't have to have fear and what is to come in these pain and sufferings. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So I think that's a great resolve to the question of pain and suffering and a good answer to who gives us victory over the persecution of death and over the persecution of pain and suffering. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the clear answer. You know, Jesus is the answer to everything, even to the answer of pain. So this has been... 
an interesting journey that we've taken over the past three episodes. I mean, we had kind of an outline set up, but we've we've gone down a lot of rabbit holes. This was um, definitely not a subject to take not, uh, to take lightly, especially given the the current circumstances. Uh, the reason that we chose this subject to do these past three episodes over, um, but kind of to take you back real quick, in the first episode, uh, I opened up with Job and did kind of a just a very slight touch on that whole book, and we got a little into it, but. Not too much, but the one verse that I touched on uh, talked about how Job was accepting that it's it's his mission to die. How there, there's so much despair in that verse, and rightfully so. I mean, again, Job knew suffering absolutely. Mm-hmm. Job, the book, is suffering incarnate. But then you have the story of Lazarus, where it's like the opposite. It's like you're put on here, you're put on this earth to live, even even post death, like. The, that God will receive glory. That God can receive glory in both of those circumstances is amazing. I think these stories really help us to to look at the, the current pandemic going around and anything past, present, and future for us to be able to suffer well and see the hope that exists within that. Well, I like that what you said, suffer well. That That's where the rubber meets the road. Because, I mean, we, we touched on this concept, I believe, in the first episode where it's it's easy to worship Jesus when everything's all right, when, when there's there are no stakes. Stakes are high right now. Let's let's put that faith into practice, I and mean, that's what we're about. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at faith and practice through a biblical lens—that's what we do. A good uh, verse, I think, to end on uh, that kind of takes all this and rounds it into one little concise verse is Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, that says, "And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the co- who are the called according to His purpose." So, no matter what's going on, no matter how confused you are. Uh, regardless of if we did a good job uh, illustrating all these different concepts in the Bible, like just make sure that God's going to get glory from it. Because what's going to pass is going to pass. And I don't mean that as in like um, this whole thing is going to pass away within a week. I mean, whatever happens, it's going to happen. It's all, God's still on the throne. You might have heard mm-hmm. that phrase thrown around, but really think about what that phrase means. We're in, if, as long as we stay in the center of, of his will, as long as we bring him, bring him glory, then I mean, hey, glory to God. Again, I don't know if this if this has helped anyone listening, but personally this has helped me. Uh, it's been uh, very eye-opening going through all these different scriptures and talking about how that's relevant, how, how this book written so long ago can still have so much relevance in our mm-hmm. lives uh, with things that are happening today. I think that's something we need, definitely need to ponder on is, is can we give glory to God in the pain? I definitely want to do it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I mean, we're, we're going to fail plenty, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to do better. We're, we're all works in progress. Learn as we go. I definitely think we've all learned something in our hours of sessions today, but it's been a good, it's been a good few episodes. All right. Peace out.